This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCray. Laura Clock has quite a story, which includes her holding one of the world's motorcycle land speed records. Her most recent endeavor in life, though, involves a South Dakota dairy farm and farm life creamery. It's a business that shows how farms of any size can capture revenue by sharing their farm experience and bringing their products direct to the consumer. It's our topic for this week's Farm in the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest concerns for farmers are rising input prices, and at the top of many lists is nitrogen. Even with higher prices, you still need nitrogen, of course, and in today's world, I'm looking for ways to increase bushels while still using more sustainable farming methods. That led me to Pivot BioProven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. In a moment, you'll hear from Laura Clock, who is one of the owner-operators of Farm Life Creamery in Ethan, South Dakota. It's just one of the many endeavors in Laura's family, which includes holding a motorcycle land speed record on the Bonneville Salt Flats and helping begin a group called Helping with Horsepower. I had a chance to visit her farm just south of Mitchell, South Dakota, where we discussed how they began their business and the path other farms might follow to share their farm's story and market products direct to consumers. Laura, let's pick up your story maybe back in Wisconsin because that has a lot of roots that come up today. You grew up around dairy over there. Is that right? Yes. Growing up in the country in Wisconsin during the time I did, I'm in my 50s. So um, there was a dairy farm every five miles and probably half of my class, you know, lived on a farm. So I always felt like I was around it. We kind of took it for granted, I think, really. But I didn't grow up on a dairy farm, no, but around it. (laughs) Today, though, you're very much involved with the dairy, and there's lots of different stops in between, but I'll let you pick up how you wound up in a part of a dairy, and then eventually now with Farm Life Creamery. Um, well, I uh, met a dairy farmer in 2016. He comes from a long line of dairy farmers, grew up on a dairy farm. Chad Blaze is my partner's name in Farm Life Creamery. And his parents, Gary and Amy, still milk cows. They have they each came from dairy farms themselves and started their own together uh, like 1972 or something. So it's really all they've ever done. Um, when I met Chad, he had left his full-time job to go back to the farm. His parents are getting older and wanting to slow down and the milk prices dropped. So if you've followed that at all, you know, that's in the last four or five years, the milk prices have kind of been all over the place. And where I'm from in Wisconsin, those farms are still closing at a rate of one a day, I think it is. It's so sad. So loving the rural America and having grandchildren now that, you know, it's like, how can we uh, restore some of that or at least prevent one more dairy farm from closing. So I found myself right away in their family listening to their options and their options were to quit and, you know, sell everything or make your own product. And really that's the only two options because, um, you can't go backwards every day for a long time as far as what you're getting paid for your raw commodity. 
Uh, also, being in the nonprofit world, I knew a little bit about grant writing. So we did find some grants. And I just kept hearing Chad's mom say creamery. <laughs> and so, um, which is very familiar to me. I actually, there was a creamery, the Knapp Creamery, where I'm from in Wisconsin, was between our house and my grandmother's house. <laughs> and um, they all worked there. So, I, yeah, I'd been that close to it. So, you know, it was interesting to me and a little bit of nostalgia for me. So searched around, found a value-added producers group in South Dakota here that um, is a nonprofit that's helping farmers add value to their raw commodity product. Kind of, We got involved in that. Through that, we learned about a little artisan cheese place for sale while we were working on writing some USDA grants to get started. And um, went and met them. They, they were uh, Chris and Scott Swanson over in Renner, South Dakota. And she was really making cheese as a hobby. But she had the equipment. And because she was a retired nurse, she had traveled around to Texas and Vermont and got some really cool training. So we entered a deal with them. We were able to use their facility. She taught us how to make cheese. We got some of her inventory. And um, we just rented over there while we were retrofitting the old farm that we're on here. So there's a... a there's a lot of learning that you have yeah. to do, I'm sure. Oh, so how yeah. did you ramp up this quickly then to be able to not only figure out what you're going to produce, but how you're going to sell it as well? <laughs> well, my background is in marketing and graphic design. So, I mean, that is a bonus when you're starting a new business because I was able to create the logo and just kind of look around. I saw, and being from Wisconsin, I'm absolutely a curd nerd, a cheese curd snob. <laughs> and there, you know, there's some in the area and there's some close by us in this area, but I didn't see a lot of like creative flavored curds and a lot of just really good fresh cheese curds and um, that you can get to market really fast because when you make cheese, the curds come off the top right away so you can package them the next day. So that's how we entered the market. We learned how to make cheese and it didn't take very long. You know, um, Chris really, her model, she really was artisan. Like, she did farmer's markets and some specialty shops. We knew in order to really impact the farm that we would have to get into grocery stores and a little more retail than she was. So we packaged a little different. But literally what we did is we got our cheese curds. We carried them home from Renner. And we made a deal with County Fair. We wanted to do sampling there. And we did that every Wednesday for six weeks. We handed out samples and told people who we are and what we're doing, and that really paid off. And we had done that at the end of 2019, right around the holiday season. Historically, they had sold maybe five packages of cheese curds a week because being where I'm from, people understand cheese curds. <laughs> like, I still think the best ones are from Wisconsin, even though I make cheese curds. <laughs> um, we make really good cheese curds. Um, a lot of people didn't understand them, to be honest. So there was a little bit of education there, and we stood there and told them all about it and why you should love them and why they're so great. And, you know, they're a milder form of cheese, a little more moisture. And because we're small batch, we tried lots of flavors right away. We have like 45 flavors of cheese curds we make now. So we stood there and peddled cheese curds. To get back to the county fair had historically maybe sold five packages a week. We had one day when we stood there that we sold like 300 packages. So we were on to something, right? So we were building over here. So we were literally doing that before our facility was done. We were able to do that. 
Um, we got over here, got license, our license, got everything rocking and rolling October of 2019, finally. And then we were, you know, then we were putting more cheese on the store shelves and we're ready to go to more stores. And, you know, part of that, we still do the farmer's market in Sioux Falls and some of those. But, gosh, I think we're in about 30 locations now. Yeah. How many cows do you have? And then are you using just that milk to make everything that you do here? Yes. So that's part of our story because Gary and Amy always maintain a grade A facility, you do not have to use grade A cheese, grade A milk for cheese. You can use grade B or they call it manufacturing grade. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, and we only use the milk from the family herd of cows. Gary and Amy, uh, Amy were milking. They have robotic milkers over there. They're about three miles from here. So that our milk only travels the three miles to get here. And it's from one herd. And um, they were milking over 200, but they have downsized as we ramp up. And so our goal, and I think we're getting close, is um, to use all their milk. So they're milking about 70 cows right now. You know, a lot of people listening to this will say dairy farms, you know, certainly have challenges, but you're finding a way to use 70 cows and, and add value to this. And it seems to be working. I'm sure there are challenges, but it's, it's yeah. working. It's starting to work. Finally, we've had some delays. We had two floods in 2019. We had a pandemic we went through, which delayed our milk bottling setup quite a bit. It delayed it about a year, which is really unfortunate because because they are holding on over there and they're having to make some decisions as far as, you know, how much tillable land do we need? And, you know, what do we need to for everyone to just be okay with us just buying their milk? And, we're never going to be millionaires doing this, it's, you know, and we we don't have a, a plan of wanting, you know, we can process 600 gallons of milk at a time with the equipment we have right now. We can do that multiple times a day and multiple days a week, but that's where we're at. We're pretty small. It all works out on paper. We just have to hold on, you know, getting getting to these production points and moving enough of the milk. So now that we're doing bottled milk, I mean, our we do whole milk only um, cream line, which means we don't homogenize, which there's, you know, we believe some health benefits to that. We don't do skim 2%. We don't add vitamin D. I mean, we don't, it's milk. <laughs> so when we do, we bottled yesterday. So when we bottle white milk, um, Chad goes over and gets it. It comes here. So it's from, you know, from the tank over there. Uh, to literally yesterday we bottled and brought it right out to our trailer to take to the store because county fair was out of milk again <laughs> so it is picking up but we're kind of doing it just in time because it has a shorter shelf life so we're a little bit reactionary right now as we figure it out um, but we can be the milk literally goes um, from cow to bottle within a few hours literally out the door and so uh, we have orders that go out monday and then a bunch that go out wednesday and and we see where we are, we're at. I mean, last week we were bottling again on Thursday, but, you know, we try to do our production at the beginning of the week. Yeah. So, In a crowded marketplace, then how do you stand out? Because you've carved out a niche, it looks like. <laughs> um, I think we're starting to. Just I think people are more aware of where their food comes from and as much wanting to know where the food comes from. Ingredients, paying attention to labels. There's been a lot of misleading marketing, in especially the food industry, but the dairy industry, too. And um, people can come here, they can tour the creamery, they can 
hang out with their kids down here with our petting zoo and our mini golf. We just wanted to create that open, like, you know, come see. If you don't know, come learn. And and then just education and marketing, like Milk Mondays, we talk about different things. Um, our chocolate milk, our, the cream rises, but the chocolate also settles because we don't use thickeners, we don't use emulsifiers or stabilizers, all that stuff that really all it does is make the chocolate not settle out. So you just got to shake it up before you drink it. But you know, I, I was worried about that as a marketing person, especially the chocolate, because you see the cream. So if you don't understand, you know, so how have we carved it out? I'm, I'm not sure other than trying to educate, trying to be open and transparent. Um, letting people try it. That's huge. There is a taste difference for sure. I know that you're asked to kind of speak or help guide others that may be thinking about whether it's dairy or entrepreneurship. What types of things have you learned and what do you share with others? I'm, I'm guessing you would say that this is a viable option for perhaps other dairy farms or others in farming to be able to add value uh, to products. Maybe it's not suited for everybody, but it's certainly a good option for some. I think the biggest thing that I've learned um, jumping into uh, a different industry is um, you got to kind of learn the personalities and work with them because, you know, farmers, just like bikers, just like it's a different group of people. <laughs> I move a lot faster. So that's been frustrating for me personally. Just, you know, like, let's do it. Come on, let's go do it. And that's not always one of the things that I love about um, I, I just learned how to facilitate a new entrepreneur class and the very first probably two and a half to three sections are about you and your personality and figuring out who you are. So the advice I give people is do that work because then you surround yourself with people who excel in the areas that you don't because you, you can't be good at everything. You can do everything. Like there's stuff that I do in a day that I don't, you know, I do the accounting, I do the QuickBooks, I don't love it, but I have to do it. <laughs> like we're all capable of doing those things, but figuring out where each of you um, excels and then just running with that, um, being realistic when you start a new business. Um, I'm probably a perfect one to teach a class right now because it's real. Like January, February, March were freaking scary. Like, I mean, you know, we December's always good because we sell a lot of gift boxes and we had a really good December, our best December so far. It's not our goal, but it was really good. It was better than the year before, right? Mm -hmm. So I bought a bunch of supplies and stuff that I knew we would need going into the year, but it probably didn't leave quite enough cash flow for January. So it gets scary. It gets tight. I guess I've been blessed with not seeing obstacles. Like there's just, there's always a way to do something. It might not be the way you intended, one of the stories to me that's kind of sad, but it was good for us, is our bottling machine. I got it on consignment from a company that I that sells consignment dairy products in Wisconsin. <laughs> so then, so when I went to get it, I got to take my mom with because she still lives there. But, anyways, uh, the story on this machine was it was a farmer in Texas who tried to do exactly what we're doing, but he was in his seventies and. He dove in and he bought the equipment and probably didn't ask for help or asked. They're very prideful, quiet people. Most of them I've met so far, the dairy farmers. And, you know, 
asking for help isn't like the number one thing on the list. We can do this. We've, you know, they're tough. They're, you know, all of that. And, and I don't know the guy, but I can only imagine his story because he was consigning brand new equipment and literally said, make an offer. And I know what they're worth because I was, I obviously had been looking for them like, oh my gosh, here's one and it's on consignment. So we got a deal, but uh, because of my heart, I couldn't lowball him. And, you know, I, I think hardcore business people would have because he, he got in and needed to get out. But anyways, to me, that's kind of sad. So not all of them can do it, but there are, there is, there are resources and there are um, things like the value at a producer group and the different grants. Um, the other one we've been working with is a Midwestern, Dairy Board Innovation Alliance, um, and they're out of Wisconsin, but they do a lot with, like, the Wisconsin Cheesemaker Association, and there's a lot of info there, and you just, you know, being a researcher and going out and asking and going after that stuff, I think anyone that wants to do it just needs to be sure they have someone on their team that will go do that stuff, you know, because it's a different skill set for sure, and just be willing to be open you know, a lot of these little dairies, there's Stensland, um, they sell a lot in the Sioux Falls area. They're actually an Iowa farm, but it's their whole family. There's like 10 of them involved, you know, and this is family too. My dad comes and packages cheese. Obviously, Chad's parents are key. They're still milking the cows. Um, Chad's daughter works here. So uh, my daughter does social media for us. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a family effort. And then you just got to figure out within your family how to make that work and be able to communicate and have the tough conversations and who's going to do what and what does it look like to you? Because I can't just assume, you know, so and that's true with any business, right? Especially if you have partners and especially if you're working with friends and family, because it can go south if you if you are not willing to have those conversations. You have alluded to this during the interview, but you have lots of different things in your background, and, and one of them has an, is an organization called Helping with Horsepower. I'll let you describe what that is, but it also has roots in another one of your loves, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yes, well, for sure it does. Helping with Horsepower started in 2010. I literally took vacation from my job at the time um, to go learn how to do equine therapy. And so to work with horses, and in my mind, I wanted to work with troubled kids. We have the Abbott House in Mitchell, which is a residential treatment facility, and I was already doing, like, some recovery programs with the girls. I just was hooked on them and wanted to do more. So I went to Texas, and I trained, and I'm kind of a continual learner. <laughs> I just like to learn new things, whether you're going to use them or not. And I remember going to a seminar one time for women and it was about everyone tells us to learn how to say no but I will challenge you to say yes more often and with that being like it's okay for me to go learn something new and it's okay for me to try things it doesn't mean that I'm committing my the rest of my life to that and so I've kind of lived by by that a little bit you know like yeah I can go do that if I want to learn about that if I don't want to go sit on the beach for my vacation time that I earned I'm going to go train to do equine therapy so I did that but I got back here and next thing you know, I worked in the motorcycle industry, and I, next thing you know, I was kind of sitting at my desk one day, and had I, I totally believe it was divine intervention, because I was sort of mad at God <laughs> about it, um, 
it came to use the motorcycle as a tool to teach life lessons. In my own life with my daughters, the motorcycle was a tool. Like we were racing on the Bonneville Salt Flats when my youngest was 14 years old. And I was using all of that as parenting skills, <laughs> you know, to parent them, setting goals and achieving them and handling success and failure. And, you know, um, we had sponsors, so you had to behave a certain way. And there were requirements, like you had to go to events and talk to people and inspire other girls. And, you know, so it taught them a lot, I think, about life. And then I was a motorcycle safety instructor for 10 years. And just a lot of that was counseling counseling people to face their fears, especially women. And so the motors, you know, I got this idea, like, I need to take a motorcycle to the Abbott House girls, <laughs> you know, and it's one thing to have an idea and another to have a facility that'll let you give it a try. And next thing you know, I have a motorcycle in their classroom. And we're using it to teach life skills. Um, and we customized it. We customized it fully. We did six motorcycles there over the course of five years because one of the projects we did two motorcycles at the same time. And then we would sell raffle tickets and we raised almost $500,000 for the Abbott House over the course of those bikes. Um, but I came back from Texas thinking I was going to work with horses, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, why are you showing me this, Scott? And he really, the message I got was foundation. And it ended up being foundational to helping with horsepower. It's how it started. It was, um, it became nationally recognized. I wrote this curriculum in my kitchen. Next thing you know, other centers were asking me. And at one point, 2012-ish, 13-ish, I had eight of them going across the United States. But I just gave them the book and taught them how to do it. Sometimes I went and visited. And one of those projects was out of New York. Um, I worked with my friend... We did. We worked with Lloyd Greer, and he had a he was working with the Second Chances program at the local high school in Pine Bush, and we built a race bike. They built a race bike, and we raced it on the Bonneville Salt Flats and set a record with them. So those are, you know, they called it Pine Bush Helping with Horsepower. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of stories you could go into there. So let's fast forward. So we got the motorcycle program going. That's part of helping with horsepower. Then Crystal Young, my dear friend and partner now, um, walked through my door one day. She was kind of looking for a business mentor. And she had just gone through some equine gestalt life coaching training. And she started telling me about it. And I'm like, did you know that I, you know, that I like went through equine training for therapeutic riding with kids with disabilities and gosh I think we have over 100 riders right now we've went back to Texas trained again so that I can train instructor certify instructors here so we have a handful we just did instructor training again about a month ago so we have about six instructors over there so we're doing we're doing the equine therapy in 2019 Crystal really expressed um, wanting to expand to work with veterans. And it's really beautiful because she does more of the intensive rather than the step program that we use uh, that builds core strength and sets goals and all of that with children and adults with disabilities. She kind of digs in deeper with the veterans. And then they have the option of becoming an instructor at the end if they choose to do that. And we have two of them now that are. And it's I can't even share their story because the first time I heard Mark Kiddo is one of our veterans who 
he tells his story. I hated kids and I hated horses and I only went there because I had to pick my wife up because she teaches sign language. She's also one of our instructors. Um, and she came with one of the riders because she works at the school. And um, he got lost on the way there. And <laughs> we always call it voluntold. He got voluntold that he had to help that day. And the rest is really history. But he uh, he's amazing. He's our farrier now. We sent him to farrier school. And so I hadn't done the bike rebuild program. I had some changes in my life. Obviously started a creamery <laughs> in the middle of that. I really love motorcycles, though. I always have ridden motorcycles since I was about 10. So just just end of February, beginning of March, we reclaimed the bike rebuild program, and we're doing it at the ranch with veterans. Very good. I appreciate the time. This is a fun story. You know, I'm all about just community coming together, and um, this gives us an opportunity for more people to hear about what we're doing, and we always welcome people to join us. Absolutely. The Helping with Horsepower program involves both motorcycles and horses and benefits everyone from children to veterans. You can learn more at helpingwithhorsepower.com and you can find Laura's Creamery online at farmlifecreamery.com or if you are in the area, go see the Creamery. After all, it's designed as an on-site experience there in Ethan, South Dakota. Laura has quite a story to share and you'll enjoy the chance to connect with her and her work. That's it for this week's show. I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at FarmingTheCountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.